If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can be seated, and as you're seated, let me uh, add my, my warm welcome to David's. My name is Brent. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and it's just my joy to welcome you in, to invite you all into our time together in the Word of God. Um, this morning, uh, we are obviously in the love chapter, the famous 1 Corinthians 13 love chapter in the Bible. But this is this is sermon part two of the love chapter. We just read the whole thing uh, in order to make sure that we understand the context as we begin. Um, as we begin, would you now take a moment of time to enter into prayer with me? We would just ask the Lord's help as we jump into it. Father, we come to you and we worship you. God, you are a God of love. You have redeemed us in love through Jesus Christ. And you are drawing us into the fullness of your love. And one day, as we've even sung this morning already, we will be exalting and worshiping and singing you and praising you forever in your presence in a world that's been made new, resurrected with Christ. Uh, Lord, would you just fill us with hope and with joy this morning as we consider your love? Would you draw those in this room that are are seeking and and wondering and have questions about the God of the Bible and um, those who are here and have known Jesus for a long time, would you draw us together to the same source, to yourself? Lord, to have our longings and our desires satisfied in you and in you alone. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning as we begin, I'm wondering if there's been any moments in your lives when either you have made just that perfect investment and it's capitalized wonderfully and you have reaped enormous benefits. Wondering if that's happened to you at all in your life. Or maybe on the flip side, maybe you're in the opposite position and and you look back and you think, if only I had done it. If only I had invested. I, I missed out enormously because that opportunity passed me by. Uh, Maybe recently you've invested in Bitcoin 
Okay. Maybe uh, in, um, even in GameStop, you went on the, that rise back last year. Or maybe you're a much more conservative investor and you avoid those things like the plague, but at the right moment, you happen to have bought into Vancouver housing or into one of the significant tech companies that are in our midst today. Or maybe you almost did at the right time and, and you're kicking yourself that it didn't work out and that you missed it. Now, that's my story, by the way. I owned a house 14 years ago, uh, and I was in the process of flipping that house and building a new house that I was going to construct myself um, when I sold everything and went with my wife to seminary to become a pastor. Uh, praise God, no regrets, but I look back occasionally uh, <laughs> with some regret. Now, these sorts of opportunities for investment and these kind of questions about investment, um, they bring up a bigger question for our lives, don't they? And the bigger question for our lives, I think, is very simply put, um, what is it that we ought to invest in? What is it that we should pursue, not just in a financial opportunity, but, but with the course of my life? Should I invest in my career? Should I invest in my education? I know for many of you guys who are students, it just feels like that's all you can see right now is just the education that's before you. Should I invest in my family? Should I invest in my sports opportunities? I'm a, quite a burgeoning young athlete and uh, you know, maybe this is going to go well for me. And you might ask yourself questions like, what will stand the test of time? Right? What will ultimately make me happy? Fulfill me. What will, what will be so worth investing in that the time will come when I will lie on my deathbed and, and I will know that I've lived my life constructively for something that matters and I'll be satisfied and know that I've lived my life well. Well, we just read 1 Corinthians 13, so it's no secret where we're going. And last week, we considered the depths of, of love as defined in the Bible in these concrete ways that are all reflective of who God is and how he's revealed his love for us and the, the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. But this week, Paul concludes his famous love chapter by orienting our hearts and our minds around the one thing that we can live for that will last for eternity. And there is only one thing that we can live for that will last for eternity. So as we jump into this passage, I am praying one thing for you. I've been praying one thing for you this week and for myself. And my prayer has been this, that as we look at Paul's words in scripture, that we'd have our hopes and our dreams elevated. That we would invest our lives in love for Jesus and for others as we look forward to the day that we'll stand before him face to face. That's what I'm praying for you. Gaze elevated looking to Jesus, investing in his love, receiving his love, living for him. And our outline this morning is pretty simple. It's just this. Point one, love is eternal. We'll look at verse eight. Point two, this age that we live in is temporary. We'll look at verses nine to 12. And then we'll end with a reflection on the way that perfect love is coming and what Paul says in verse 13. So look at our first point, love is eternal in verse eight with me as we begin. Paul writes this. He says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. It's very interesting. Literally, verse 8 says, love never falls. Love never falls. 
But I think Paul's trying to drive at, at some concrete imagery, and that's why he writes what he writes. He wants to express in vivid language a concrete truth. So think about this. Given enough time, isn't it true that everything falls down? Right? How many of you guys drove down 12th yesterday and saw 100-year-old trees that had fallen down? Right? Or to think about something a little bit differently, how many of you have gone to beautiful places in this world, the Parthenon or the Colosseum or the pyramids, and you went there not to see those things that were intact, but actually to see their ruins, right? As you watch the ravages of time eat away at what once was there. And on the other hand, Paul says, love never falls. Only one thing can be constructed eternally, and permanently, so that even the ravages of time can't erode what love has built. Love never falls. And there's a reason why Paul can say love never falls with this confidence. He can say love never ends because Paul knows that the God who is eternal, the eternal God of Scripture, that he actually is love. There's an eternality to, to love because God himself is love and God is eternal. And the Bible doesn't teach that God is knowledge, that God is prophecy, or that God is communication. But the Bible teaches very simply, God is love. The eternal God himself is love. You just look at 1 John 4, 8 to 9, where we read these words. God is love. That's who he is in his eternal being. And in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. See, before time began, this one God existed forever as a trinity. And the trinity is simply the teaching that, that God is one. The Bible teaches there's one God. But the Bible also teaches that, that Jesus is God, that the Father is God, that the Holy Spirit is God. So we believe in a trinity where there's one God in three persons. But in eternity past, what happened was that this one God forever existed as a community of persons, loving, giving of themselves, and being loved. God was happy perfectly for eternity past in his love. And in fact, it was out of the overflow of this one God of love, this eternal being of love, that he generously created the world in which we live. And everything that we have now, just think about this for a moment, has now been gifted to us from him in his love, out of the overflow of his eternal being of love to us. So stop and think about your day. Stop and think about this world for a moment. Do you realize that this world that you get to live in is a gift for you? There's a God who loves you and who gave you this world to live in. Do you realize that your life Right, so take a deep breath. We do this once in a while at Christ City Church. Take a deep breath. Actually do it. That that breath, that the experience of existing is a gift that God has given to you as an overflow of his love. Do you know that your family, your friends, the changing seasons that we get to enjoy, maybe too rapidly this year, uh, but, but, but that we get to enjoy, um, that, that these are gifts from God to you. That the, the beauty and the wonder of a newborn child, it's a gift from a God of love. That the glory of the created order, that animals and ecosystems, 
the food that you enjoy, the beauty that you've seen, the experiences that you've had in life, that all of these are gifts from a perfect and eternal God of love. It's amazing. I think far too infrequently we think about this and we just live in the wonder of a glorious God of love who is for us. When I stop and I think about it, I confess two things happen to me. Number one, I'm just overwhelmed by the goodness of God. I'm like, man, he's way better than I thought he is. And we've not even really talked about Jesus Christ and how he's redeemed us and, and forgiven us and all that stuff. That we, we know those things are true. And we're just, I'm just in awe. And then the second thing that hits me always is I'm struck by how much I complain. <laughs> right? That, that I'm just full of selfishness and ingratitude towards this God. And I wonder this morning, if, if you're like me at all, that, that maybe that's some of the reason why there's a lot of misery in your life. There's a lot of misery in my life, I find, because I just like to sit there in my emotions, in my introspection. My eyes go from looking at the glory of God to looking at me. And I kind of do that toilet bowl spiral of, of dangerous, depressive kind of inner gazing. And, and I sit in all the things that I don't have. I just lack that stuff and I'm upset about it. And the thing that calls me out of that is, is this beauty of this God who is love, that this eternal God, that he loved me. That's unbelievable. <laughs> and if he loved me, then I have every reason to go the opposite direction from that introverted spiral. And, and you have the, every reason to go the opposite direction as well. To lift your gazes off of yourself and to fix your eyes on something so much better. I wonder sometimes if you're like me, maybe you're just sick of yourself, right? Well, there's good news. You can look at Jesus. You can look at this God of love. You can live your life thanking and praising him. So even at this point in our message, can I encourage you this week? Can you hold me accountable? Can you help me? Can you encourage me to pursue thanksgiving? To just live as someone receiving from God and rejoicing in all he's giving. And, and can I do the same for you? That we can call one another and encourage one another to lift our eyes a little higher. To see the goodness of God, even in the midst of our suffering. And to remember his goodness and to praise him for it. See, God is love. He's love. And his love eternally precedes the foundations of the earth even. And his love is for us and his love will never end. But in Contrast to the eternality of God's love, Paul says explicitly in verse 8, as for prophecies, on the other hand, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So look at verses 9 to 12 in our second point, that this age that we live in is temporary. We're going to unpack this a bit more. Look at verses 9 to 12. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Some of us still do that, though there were adults. Um, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. <clears throat> See, God is love. God's love. But, but when we look at the world that he's created, it's pretty clear that we don't have to look very far to realize that not everything 
that's in this world is love. You just look around on a given day and you see that this world is profoundly broken and full of suffering and full of sin. Something's wrong here. And many people have different opinions about what's wrong with this world and how to fix it. But the Bible says very clearly what's wrong with this world. The Bible says that the problems that we experience in this, so they don't come from outside of us, from, from out there, that they actually come from inside of us. That the problem is our own human sin and rebellion against God. And that's the stuff that brings suffering and evil and sorrow into this world, stuff that we all experience. Whether it's our own sin causing it or the sin of other people that's causing our suffering or, or the curse of sin that leads to the, the death and the destruction, the cancer and the disease that we have in this world. And the Bible tells a story that it was precisely when our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they ate the forbidden fruit, that that sin and death and destruction entered this world for the first time. But can this eternal God of love stop uh, our sin? Of course he can. Can our sin stop God's eternal love? Of course it can't. See, God's purpose before the foundation of the world was to pursue us and to redeem us in love. And neither our sin, nor Satan, nor death can stop him. And at precisely the right moment in history, this God himself became a human being and was born into our world as Jesus Christ. And what he did is he came into this, this world and he forgave our sins and took away our guilt and shame through his sacrificial death on a cross for us to deal with that root problem of sin, to pursue us in love and make things right. And this morning I want to say to you, I don't know who you are and where you're at this morning, but this can be yours today. You can be forgiven by the God of the universe who is love and who's pursued you in love this morning. You can have all that guilt and all that shame that you experience and that you feel all, all the brokenness in your life, you can have that restored by a God who longs to make you whole. He's for you. All you have to do is turn to him and, and trust in what he's done for you through Jesus Christ. We'd love to pray with you, if that's you this morning, to, to have that happen for you so you can know God as we know him and know his love for you as we know it. You see, God did this at the right moment to, to save us from our sin through Jesus Christ, but he actually continues this mission of redemption and love that he began far long ago, even after Jesus ascended into heaven. You may have noticed Jesus is not corporeally present with us right now in his church, right? He's not here physically, but he ascended into heaven in order to pour out his Holy Spirit on this church so he would be present with us. So this mission that he's given us of redeeming this world in love, that it would continue. And for that purpose, he gifted you and he gifted me to take part in this mission of love and redemption that comes from his eternal being of love in eternity past. See, these gifts that we've been given, the gifts that Paul's talking about in this letter, we've been talking about for a few chapters and we'll talk about in chapter 14 as well. They all have a specific purpose. God gave the gift so that we could assist him in his mission to redeem this world in love until the day that that mission is complete. That's why they're here. And Paul's clear, these gifts aren't like the eternal God of love. They won't last forever. Remember what Paul said in verse 8, as for prophecies, they will pass away. To the gift of prophecy is speaking with spirit-led 
and pastoral insight into someone's life to build them up in maturity in Jesus Christ. And I don't mean pastoral as in like I, I as a pastor because I'm the only one who can do that. I mean pastoral in the sense that that's insight that any of you could have with the gift of prophecy empowered by the Holy Spirit to also speak into one another's life, to, to build them up in Jesus Christ in a powerful, spiritful way. But one day, Paul says, prophecy won't be needed because we'll all be maturing Christ Jesus. There won't be any more need for that particular gift. And in the same way, when God's work of saving the sinful, broken world's finished, tongues will also cease, as Paul says. As for tongues, they will cease. You see, tongues, we've looked at a couple weeks ago, tongues are a prayer language to God. And they're gifts that help us to express these inexpressible desires and longings in our human hearts this side of eternity. But one day, our communication with God will be perfect. And you won't need a special gift from God to help you pour out your heart and your sorrows and your joys and your longings in prayer to God anymore because you'll be with him forever, fully and completely. And tongues will pass away. And the same goes for knowledge. When the work of redemption is complete, Paul says in verse 8, knowledge will pass away. And in context, we know from chapter 12, this is the gift of knowledge. Not, not knowing in general, but the gift of knowledge. And the gift of knowledge in the context of 1 Corinthians is something very concrete and very beautiful. What it is, is a gift of insight into the power that is found only through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's insight into knowing how we might live in the same way that Jesus lived, laying his life down in sacrifice and love for us, that, that that's the way how I can now live in this particular circumstance in the same sacrificial love. And this side of eternity, we need gifts of true knowledge because we're constantly buffeted by lies that say, actually, <laughs> what you need to do to get ahead is not live selflessly in sacrifice, but selfishly in power for yourself. Right? Isn't that all around us? You know, it's true. You know that in your workplace, you know that in politics, you know that at school, you know that, that in your married lives, in your friendships, in your families, the temptation and, and the lie is just do the thing that works for you. Live for yourself. Get ahead. Look strong by putting yourself forward. And for the reason of this lie existing in this world, we need gifts of knowledge spoken in this church by different members of the body so that we will know concretely, no, that's wrong. The weakness of Jesus' sacrificial love is true power. And concretely in this given circumstance, this is how I can live it. This is how I can put it on and I can follow it. But one day, the truth and the power of Jesus' love on the cross will be vindicated for all to see. When that happens, the weak lives of Christ's followers in this world will be vindicated for their love and sacrifice. Everybody will see it. Everybody will praise God for it. God will be proved true and every person who's opposed the power and sacrificial love of Jesus' cross will stand condemned in the, the full revelation of God's glory and love. You see, it's this eternality of love and the reality of this passing temporary age that led Paul to expand so eloquently in verses 9 to 12. 
For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. It's interesting. Paul gives three illustrations here to show us that this age that we live in, the age where our gifts are active in this particular way, that it is temporary. And the first illustration is that when maturity comes, childish ways will be put off. And we know childhood has its place, doesn't it? Right? But if I behave like my son Aryan, as much as I love him, there's a problem. Right? Man-child is a meme. And it's one where that man ought to grow up. Right? It's not appropriate to continue living like a child when you were an adult. This is the second illustration. This beautiful one where Paul says, we see right now in a mirror dimly, but one day soon we'll see face to face. Our knowledge is, is incomplete. There's, there's a way that we're kind of like standing, you come out of the shower and you look in the mirror, it's all foggy and you can't see, right? There's a day where that will be clear and we'll see brightly and we'll be face to face in our knowledge. Paul's talking about the way that we have been shown so much right now by God through Jesus Christ, through his word. And we have so much knowledge, but there's so much more to understand and to comprehend, isn't there? Don't you have questions? I have a long list of questions I want to ask God that I don't understand now. And one day in the future, we'll, we'll see face to face. And there's actually an analogy to our experience in the present day with the way the Old Testament prophets from long ago uh, longed for and tried to understand what was going to come in the fullness of Revelation when Jesus came the first time. So bear with me. I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. Because the Apostle Peter explains this in 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12. He's talking to the, the church and he says, concerning this salvation, which is the salvation that they've all received through Jesus Christ, is the prophets, and those are the, the, the prophets from long ago, in the first half of the Bible, says, they prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. And they searched and they inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. You got to imagine those prophets. Right? God's talking to them. They're writing stuff down for people to understand. And they're wondering, I mean, we get a little bit, but what on earth is this going to be like? Like, where is it going to go? How's it all going to come forth? How is God going to redeem us? What's the particularity of how that's going to look like? How could they have known that the, the King of Kings, the Messiah to come, would wear a crown of thorns? How could they have known that the God who parted the Red Sea would one day part the calluses of our human hearts by himself dying as the atonement for our sins and shedding his blood on the cross? They couldn't have seen that. They couldn't have seen that. And in the same way that they couldn't dream of Jesus' birth and life and resurrection before it happened, so we see only dimly now in contrast to the light that will be fully ours when we stand before God face to face. There'll be so much more that we will know. So much more that we will worship and praise God for that we right now don't fully understand. Because right now we have so many questions. But one day we'll see face to face. And the third illustration Paul says is this, is when perfection comes, then in verse 12, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And even as, as I have been fully known, even as you have been fully known, full stop, 
How, how much does God know you? How well does God know you? You see, God knows you perfectly. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows every motivation in your heart. He knows every interaction and experience that you've ever had. He knows every joy and every sorrow. He knows every defining moment that forms the context for your life and for your actions today. He knows you through and through. And Paul says the day is coming when we will know fully in the same way that we are fully known. I mean, I'd love to be more particular and concrete than that, but I don't know what that looks like. I guess one day I'll understand what that means. All I can do is add another illustration. It's like, it's like the, the flashlight of our knowledge will one day be swallowed up in the full brightness of the sun when all is known and understood. What's Paul's point then in these eloquent illustrations? It's that this age that we live in is temporary. His point is that God is right now at work pushing back the darkness, conquering sin and Satan and death. But one day, Christ said, he prays God that work will be finished. And on that day, only love and all that has been built by love, all that's been rescued and redeemed through love will stand forever. You know, I think the implications of this are pretty huge for us if we stop and think about them. Because I think it's true that some of us have lived our lives focused not on the purpose of our gifts or the tools that we have, but on the tools themselves. Isn't that true? Today in my life, uh, it was an illustration for this. Um, back when I was a carpenter, I was a carpenter once a long time ago. Some of you guys know that. Um, I would do this. I would sometimes rejoice in my tools more than I rejoiced in the job the tools had. I'd walk past my compound sliding miter saw in my garage. I'd be like, ooh, that's a nice saw. <laughs> Look at that German engineering. It was a Bosch. It was a good Bosch. And, and even still, to be honest, I miss that saw, which is really funny because I can remember distinctly the present that I liked least as a teenager from my parents. It was a socket set. It was tools. I thought, what a useless present, mom and dad. Uh, but now I still have the socket set. <laughs> so, so who has the last laugh? I guess they do. But we get distracted, right, by the, the tools and not about the job that they perform. In our lives, you do this too, right? In, in our lives, we, we all do this in different ways. Uh, you probably walk past your storage lockers in your houses, your apartments sometimes, and you look at the skis hanging on the shelf, right? And you look at all the things that you have, right? You, you look into your kitchen cupboards like, man, those are some nice blenders I got, right? But, but you, you get so involved in the acquisition of those things and having them, and you forget that actually they're useful. <laughs> they have a job to perform that I hardly ever do. You know, I'm just kind of sitting here content in my stuff. See, like the Corinthians, we do this in our Christian lives when it comes to our gifts. Because we are prone sometimes to focus on our gifts and not their purpose. And what is their purpose in this temporary age? It's to build up Jesus' church. To build up the church in love. So that the church founded on love, built up in love, will stand forever and endure into eternity, united with God. Look, as I was thinking about this this week, it, it, 
it hit me. And, and I was talking with Jake, one of the other pastors, and, and he was talking about this as well. It's true that one day pastors will be out of a job. I praise God. My job in the little bit that I get to participate in and helping to prepare you guys to meet Jesus, my job will be done because you'll be with him. You know, we are a church planting church and, and the day is going to come when we won't have to send church planters anymore. Not to Surrey, not to the ends of the earth because Jesus will be loved and adored and worshiped and praised by everyone. Soon our unique giftings and callings, so many of them will have completed their divinely appointed course. And Jesus will be seen and worshipped and adored and praised for all his goodness. And on that day, you and I will sit there worshipping God and thanking him that we had the chance to participate. That he gifted us with the tools necessary to assist in the building of his kingdom. We'll worship and we'll praise him. But the gifts will fade away. And only love will continue. So I'm wondering, in your community groups, in this church, in your lives, is your heart set on the gift that you have? On the gift that you want? On the gift that you're jealous of? More than on the God of love who uses every gift for his glorious purpose of building his church. See, gifts will fade into history with this temporary age only what is built through love will stand forever. And the fulfillment of God's perfect love is still to come. I want to look at the fulfillment of that perfect love with you now. And I just want to get there. I want to worship our hearts out as we think about what's coming. So we anticipate our hope. Perfect love is coming. Look at verse 13. So now faith and hope and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. I think Paul's saying that today, faith and hope and love abide and that they remain. They're here, right? We all need them. We need those three things. But when God's mission of redemption is complete, love will be perfected. And on that day, love will be seen to be greater even than faith and greater even than hope. Greater than faith because our faith will finally be made sight and it will get swallowed up in the perfection of love. The author of Hebrews defines faith as this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So what need will there be for faith when the things hoped for are here? What need will there be for faith when we see the things that we have to just see in faith right now? When faith becomes sight. And love will be greater too than hope because the hope that sustained us through sorrow and suffering and pain right now, maybe that speaks to you because you're in the midst of that in this moment. That hope will finally be realized. Don't you hope? Isn't your life full of hope right now in God? Don't you live your life hoping that God will finally conquer that sin that still dogs you? It still pulls you down. That he'll finally conquer the sin in the lives of others that grieve you. The sin in his church that brings shame on the name of Jesus Christ. Don't you hope for the day when it will finally forever be killed? Don't you hope for the day when cancer and when suffering itself 
will end because death will be put to death. The final enemy will be destroyed, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that we'll get to in, uh, in the new year. And the final enemy is death and it will be put to death and suffering will be ended. Don't you hope to be resurrected to live forever with the God who loved you from before the foundation of the world? And if you don't know this, he has loved you. He loves you and he has loved you before the foundation of the world. Don't you hope for the day when all of us will be free from Satan and his deceptive lies that, that say, don't follow God. You can't trust him. It pulls us away to pursue our own thing and inevitably causes us suffering so much harm in this world. Don't you long for the day when that will stop <laughs> when just hear the voice of God and its goodness with clarity. See, today, we need hope profoundly. And let me encourage you, Christ City, you have every reason to be full of hope. As God has poured out his love for you through Jesus Christ, and if he has sent his son to die for you, he will surely finish the good work that he's begun. He is faithful. He will surely do it. But soon love will be fulfilled and there'll be no more need for hope or for faith. See, the whole course of God's work of redemption is heading to a conclusion. The eternal God of love who existed in eternity past, who created this world, who's redeeming this world through love, he will finally bring us home to himself forever. And on that day, love itself will be fulfilled and every longing of your heart will be satisfied. I want you to stop and imagine this with me for a moment. Imagine that moment when you stand face to face with a corporeal savior. Jesus Christ in flesh, not in ideas, not by the power of his Holy Spirit, but there. When he's going to grip you with his firm Nail-scarred hands, hug you, wipe away the tears from your eyes. He's going to lock eyes with you. The eyes of righteousness and holiness and love incarnate. And he's going to pour out his love for you. Every longing will be satisfied. He's going to take your hand. He's going to call you by name. And you'll know how dearly loved you are. See, there's just one analogy that's sufficient to describe this moment in Scripture. You know what it is? It's the analogy of marriage. It's the marriage supper. It's the marriage consummation. See, only the longing of a righteous and pure bride and groom to be united together forever comes close to describing love's fulfillment in Scripture. I want to show you a bunch of passages about this. Isaiah 54 says this, Fear not. For you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. Or Ephesians 5, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Or in Revelation, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters 
And let the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Righteous deeds, by the way, empowered by love. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. And that, that represents not just Jerusalem, but all of God's people through all of eternity. Coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. See, love's perfection is coming, Christ City. And the God of love who has pursued us across the universe, who has loved and pursued us across the hellscape of our own sin and sorrows and the destruction that we brought to this world, when he will bring us home to himself forever. And in this age that we're in right now, Every moment with God, by the power and presence of his spirit, it's only the engagement. Do you realize that? Every gift and joy that you have with God in this church, in your life together, in this church that you've received from him, it's just the engagement. It all points forward and anticipates a far greater gift by far. Our, our wedding day with Jesus. <laughs> and on that day, faith and hope will fade away. Eclipsed by perfection. Every gift will have fulfilled its purpose, but love will continue. Love will stand eternal in radiance and fullness in a life with God and one another forever. So the question really is just this. It's this simple. So what are you investing in? What have you been using the time and the resources that God has given you to pursue? See, your gifts will fade. Your bank accounts will close. Your careers will end. And only one thing will last forever. But that one thing is free. And God wants to give it to you as a gift. See, God invites you to know him this morning. To be filled with his love. See, this love is for all of you. doesn't matter if you've known Jesus for a long time and you just kind of got pulled away to other stuff recently. doesn't matter if, if you're brand new and you're wondering, man, I don't know, like I, I want something here. Maybe this could be for me. It's for you. And God invites you to come and to have it freely. To be saved through the love that he has for you in Jesus Christ. He invites you to begin to prioritize your life and think about it analytically and then be like, what am I living for? How does this add up in the week to week? How can I live for him in love instead? I want to close with um, the words of Isaiah 55 and I want you to hear this as the invitation of God for you this morning. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. 
Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Would you pray with me? God, there is nothing like your love. God, our imaginations aren't strong enough to anticipate and to see the the fullness of the revelation in your word. Lord, in this temporary age, we don't have the eyes necessary to see all that you would offer and give us. And yet we see in your word that you're standing there with your arms wide open, calling for us to come, to come and to know the fullness of the love that you would have for us. So God, would you help us? Would you strengthen us in the power of your Holy Spirit to just come to you and to receive it? To have every barrier in our hearts that's standing in the way and opposes you right now, just fall down to the ground. Lord, that we would repent and lay those things down so that we could have more of you. Lord, so that your salvation could be full and victorious in our lives. So that we could live lives that matter. Empowered by your love as we love one another as you have loved us. So we could build something that will last to eternity because you have first loved us. God, we ask this for the glory of Jesus Christ, for the building of his church. In Jesus' name, amen.